Hey everyone, it's Jen and Jess from the beauty podcast, Fat Mascara, here to talk about Sol de Janeiro. So many of the beauty experts we interview on our show say that the key to great skin is to treat every inch of your body with the same attention you give your face. One of our favorite ways to do that is with Sol de Janeiro's Beja Flor Elastic Cream, a rich body cream that's clinically proven to boost collagen and has been shown to improve skin crepiness on the chest in just two weeks. Plus, it's scented with Sol de Janeiro's Charosta 68 fragrance. Sol de Janeiro is offering you 10% off your first order on soldejanero.com and free shipping with the code ACAST10. That's S-O L-D-E-J-A-N-E-I-R-O soldajanero.com and use the code ACAST10 for 10% off. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay authenticity guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Clothes are an easy way to kind of introduce yourself to the world when you've just arrived. That language to me was what I've always been about, the power of identity and how clothes are an extension of the self, your best self that you want to put to the world. There are so many different ways that you can speak about core values and you can reach millions of niches at one time. Being a secret and doing things well, but reaching the far corners of the earth, I think that's an exciting prospect. Hi, this is Imran Ahmed, founder and CEO of The Business of Fashion. Welcome to the BOF Podcast. It's Friday, June 18th. This week, Lawrence Steele made his debut and his return to Aspezi, the Italian brand where he first started his career after arriving in Milan in the mid-1980s. He talks to Tim Blanks about his journey from rising star to closing down his business, to working behind the scenes with Mrs. Prada and alongside his partner Francesco Riso at Marni, and what it's like to be back at Aspezi, where his journey first began. Here's Lawrence Steele, Inside Fashion. Congratulations, Lawrence, on your uh, new gig with Aspezi. Thank you very much. I'm very happy. Doesn't this doesn't this kind of bring a, a full circle, create a full circle? Didn't yes. you? Yes. Yeah. I um, I worked there when I was um, doing my own collection. Um, uh, Mr. Aspezi was helping me finance uh, my own business, so it's a bit of a return. Yes, it's like. A, a kind of going back to my past and having the opportunity to correct my sense. You know? Now, what coming back, well, I should say moving forward, I shouldn't say back because this is something I'm, I, I, I feel is particularly noxious about this moment that, that there seems to be such a willingness on so many people's part to go back mm. to the way things were when really I, I think, as you were saying, this is an opportunity to approach things in a very different way. How do you see Espezi now? How how different is your vision of it? Now? Well, when I fell in love with Aspasi, you know, which was quite a long, long time ago, because uh, I met Mr. Aspasi in the mid '80s. Um, Moschino was designing 
the collection for him, and I was working for Moschino on the Moschino collection. I fell in love with the brand because um, it was a very small, very, you had to be in the know to, to know about Aspasi. It sold in Italy to a very um, interesting class of people. Um, and if you didn't know about it, it was something that was like a, a, a secret, you know? And, and in that sense, um, to me, it was really special, but it was very Italian and I was new to Italy. So it was great because of that. I think today um, with the world, how um, it's opened up so vastly, there's something quaint about it being a, a, a small brand, um, but there's something very exciting about taking the values of the brand out into the world. And um, I think today that's very easy to do. I think it was harder to do years ago because it meant a lot of spending a lot of money in communications and you know there was a kind of set way about uh, expanding a business i think today there are so many different ways that you can um, speak about core values and reach niches um, you can reach millions of niches at one time so you can stay niche but also kind of grow exponentially um, today and that to me is very different the potential is very different being a secret and doing things well, but reaching the far corners of the earth, I think that's an exciting prospect. It, it, well, when you put it like that, yeah. do you think of it as a cult? I think that it is a brand that's very unique in the sense that it's built around the idea of mono product. And it's also very well made and special. There's something very sophisticated about it. I think people today are waking up to the idea of making products that are conscientious and that are the same and that you can go back to. But fashion has always been about grand gestures and quick changing. And I think that the values that have always been in the DNA of Aspasi have been about slow change or no change. It's an Italian brand that is based on an Italian aesthetic, which I like to always make as comparison to eating food, Italian food, as opposed to other foods. There's this thing about eating spaghetti in this country where um, if you're cooking it for friends and you've overcooked it by 30 seconds or undercooked it by 30 seconds, you have been exposed. You know, that is definitely something that someone notices. If you get it just right, <laughs> al dente, tells everyone something about you. And it's an unspoken thing that exists in the idea of quality. And to me, it's the thing that I appreciate about this brand. It's been focused on that kind of thing as opposed to grand gestures and, and big changes or speaking loudly. It's a quiet thing that um, when you put it on, it connects to people who get it. I would love to know what the equivalent of al dente in fashion is where it's just 30 seconds on the right side or the on the wrong side of you know it, it's all those pieces all those objects that we desire that we can afford or not afford that exist in the world i mean to me al dente is definitely um the kelly bag you know what i mean it's something that is like just so perfect you can't actually perfect it um you can copy it it remains you know like a beautiful spaghetti al pomodoro, you know what I mean? It's, it's that thing. It's so essential. You know, you can't make it any better or worse. But, you know, that's obviously something that's been, you know, everybody knows 
the Kelly bag. But I think that when you put on a comfortable pair of, a pair of shoes, you know what I mean? It's also the same thing. You slip into something and it doesn't hurt your feet. You can walk in it. You don't get, you know, sores on your feet. That, you know, there is a subtle thing of quality that today isn't necessarily at the center of everyone's attention. I think with communications, image has become, has overridden mestiere. How do you say that in English? The, the knowledge of making clothes, you know what I mean? When you put something on, I think about Japanese fashion, casual fashion. When you put it on, there's a quality, there's this thing, wabi-sabi, which mm -hmm. is worn just right. And it's, again, that degree of al dente, which it has a quality that feels like it's always been, not necessarily new, not necessarily something old, but something that fits you and becomes part of you, you know, or an object, you know, a vase that you can't tell what age it is. To me, those things, wabi-sabi is something very close to al dente, and uh, it has to do with culture, consumer or the connoisseur, the person who's looking for that kind of thing. Um, when I say reaching um, niches all over the world in every corner, it means reaching the kind of person that values that over the wow factor or the news. I think it's an exciting time because you can speak subtly through um, the means that there are today and through the possibility of reaching people, which before it was a secret and now it can be a secret among the millions. millions. Exactly. <laughs> now, it, that's, it's interesting you say this because when you had your own label, in the, um, how long did you have your label for? Ten, ten years exactly, from 94 to 2004. And very famously, you were profiled in The New Yorker. Yes. And it was, a, it was a, a funny theme, a running theme in that piece, was how much does Lawrence Steele really want success? Yes. And it was considered afterwards to be that you slightly shot yourself in the foot by not coming across as this, steamingly ambitious guy with this vision that that consumed everything before it but now what you're saying is that that state of mind that you had then is an asset in this new world uh, well it is who i am and i've always considered me to be the thing that i'm about you know at the time michael wrote that article he followed me around for three or six months while i was working on the collection it was very vulnerable you know he saw me in every sort of iteration but what was going on in fashion at the time were like rappers were starting to get involved you know in fashion it wasn't Kanye, it was the Kanye before Kanye, P. Diddy, who, who was starting his fashion label. And it was all about having this motor behind you. It corresponded with the, the big groups. So his perspective on what I was doing was obviously put into context with what else was going on in that specific moment. I perhaps had more experience than him, than Michael um, Spector. I'd seen fashion change over and over and over and over again, I studied, you know, the history of fashion. So from the 20s onwards, I mean, we every generation reinvents the wheel. I never thought that I had to be about the short game. And I'm, you know, I grew up, my father was in the military, so I traveled throughout my whole youth. 
Um, I don't think I lived anywhere more than two years until I reached the age of 15. Um, I lived in Germany, I lived in Spain, I lived in Japan, different parts of the United States. I'm an outsider. I've always seen what is different in humanity and what is similar in hum humanity from the point of view of someone who comes in, has to fit in, and then moves on. You know, I'm also gay and black, and you know, there's so much that keeps my perspective kind of centered in myself. I was never about making things to necessarily succeed. I, I didn't want to sell my label either. Uh, that's why I shut it down. I wanted, with my work, to create something unique to me. And um, it was never necessarily about how big I became, but how true to a signature I could be. And my heroes were Charles James, Vionnet, Chanel, Balenciaga, people who had made a mark with form, with shape, who had sculpted. I can cut a jacket. I can drape a dress. I can sew. I was sewing my own clothes at 14. Um, because I couldn't find what I wanted to wear. Clothes are an easy way to kind of introduce yourself to the world when you've just arrived. And so that language to me was what I've always been about, the, the power of identity and how clothes are an extension of the self, that your best self that you want to put to the world. So that article, which to me was like 10 pages in the fucking New Yorker, you know what I mean? That was the win. That was the win right there. <laughs> Who cared about the rest of it? I think I was the first to have that kind of coverage. So for him, it was about where I was going. For me, I was already there with the article. You, you know what I mean? Um, I read that uh, at the time. It was painful to read to, to some degree. I mean, I was very proud. The photograph was beautiful. Michael Roberts shot this gorgeous picture of me surrounded by um, these girls in my clothes, and it was just fantastic. But reading the content that it was a competition that I might win or might not win um, after spending, you know, six, three months or six months with uh, getting to know Michael Spector, it was kind of like, oh my God, you know, I'm literally with my pants down in the, in, the, in the New Yorker with 10 pages, you know what I mean? But I think it's also a portrait of that time. And if you think about it today, a lot of those people that he was comparing me to don't exist. You know, they, they didn't make their mark. And yes. I'm yeah. in for the long run, you know? I'm, I've never stopped working. I did shut down my business. That was a choice because I didn't want to sell it or get a partner. And at some point when fashion moves on, either you move on with it or you become extinct, you know what I mean? And so I moved on with it, you know, I moved into the houses that were being created um, and supported by the industry and uh, stayed relevant. What do you think was the key for you? When I, th when I think about your career, you're absolutely right. You have been in, you have worked in so many different arenas always as a presence, but never as a sort of all or nothing mm -hmm. guy. I wonder what you feel it was in you that, that whether you feel that maybe there wasn't a galloping ego or what it was that allowed you to subsume yourself, even when you had your own label. In a very romantic sense, I 
again, think that I've always thought more about the clothes that I was making than the image that I was pushing. Chanel was like an amazing, you know, communicator. She was able to push herself and she did it through so many absurd means, you know, that political alliances, whatever, to make that her brand. But I more align myself with the kind of work that Balenciaga and Dionet were doing, which was about sculpting clothing. Um, of course, I don't think those kinds of clothes matter today. Life has moved on. We're faster, busier, and we need function as opposed to different functions from our clothing. It's more about leaving a legacy than it is about being on the front page to me. I don't know. I suppose that I'm very conscientious of how my identity, how my own person remains in, 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 as a legacy. I, I'm, I'm just very conscientious that being an example of uh, a kind of uh, humanity, a kind of person, uh, perhaps has more value to me than being a superstar. How have you, how have you managed to stay interested in fashion with all of that other stuff in your Oh my God, I'm obsessed with fashion. Well, in my relationships have always, my partners have always worked in one form or another in fashion. So uh, not having children, I suppose fashion has been my child, our, our child. I don't know. That's what it's, it's what I've always wanted to do. So that part is effortless. I mean, it's such an exciting business to be in, but I think it's a lot bigger than how it gets represented sometimes. I think, you know, we're all interested today in kind of uh, headlines, you know, and um, it's one way of uh, absorbing what's going on around you. But I'm always interested in what lies beneath, you know, the underlying truths. Also, what is a constant during all the change, which there is, the fashion business evolves in terms of looks, but a lot of times, you know, we've talked, we've watched shows together and we've talked about, oh, you know, that Prada show, what the references were, kind of trying to read it like a novel. And if you don't have the culture to know what's going on now, what's been, what's happened before, where, what someone's thought process was the season before, the season before that, you can't really fully absorb the effort that was put into a project. Now, most people don't get it, but some of us who are very passionate about what we do go deeper. And you can see the cultural references, the, the cultural references in the work, but implications of why that show is spectacular as opposed to something else, which is the fa version of, of creativity. I don't know. Authenticity at the end of the day for me is like, it's a fundamental value. And it's what I find also exciting about Aspacy. It's a brand that, that really focuses on making authentic clothing and communicating imagery that isn't throwaway, you know, um, that has emotional resonance, that is innovative even if it's soft-spoken. Those things are interesting to me, whether they're explosively all over the map or they're quietly being done on the sidelines, 
when you talk about that culture, when you talk about people needing a, a, a that fashion benefits from having an audience that at least part of the audience understands the layers, the levels, the quotes, the, the references, and understands how rich a culture fashion actually is, how relevant it is in in ways that too many people are dismissive of. But thinking back to you in the early 90s, thinking back to fashion in the early 90s, thinking about the end of the 80s, the beginning of the 90s, the middle of the 90s, and when things started to change, do you think things started to change direction? Do you think we lost something back there? Absolutely not. I don't Good. think it at all. Um, I recall, you know, I was watching this uh, Netflix film on Halston, which just came out. I don't know if you've seen it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. And um, I, re you know, I was, a, I remember that moment. <laughs> I mean, I was kind of like, he was one of those people that I was looking at. I thought he's brilliant, forever brilliant. Um, but there was a moment when he was licensing out to JCPenney's where it was like, that's the end, you know? You knew it was the end. You did not think that that was going to turn him into, you know, a, the, the household name that he already was, that that was going to do him much. But it was a cycle of fashion. It's cyclical, this business. When you don't look at it in the moment, but you look at it in the distance, you can see that these cycles come and they go and they come and they go and they come and they go. And they're exactly the same cycles at some point. So it's very easy if you step back and you think about the long run to see what lasts and to gauge what's happening. If, but you have to have the culture of being able to look at it from above and not being caught up in the whirlwind of, of what fashion really is, which is change. Because fashion by nature is change. It's the fashion of the moment. But fashion as a culture, as an industry, is so rich, you know what I mean? You tell the story of people and politics and everything through uh, a look. And today we talk about, you know, you cannot talk about luxury today. You, you, you know, fashion was built as this, um, it started out as people um, making three or four of a garment for a special client and keeping that client and nurturing that client. And then you got ready, the ready-to-wear industry and you had Saint Laurent looking at the streets and bringing street fashion into high society. And then you had the Italians who were like, you know, let's manufacture this and make fashion for everybody. And then you had the Americans come in and create this lifestyle that, you know, is about the spontaneity and, and the, the testosterone of the new world. And then you come back to couture and handmaking things. Today, if you speak in terms of a luxury product, you offend half of the world. You know, it's offensive. It's literally an offensive thing to talk about. And I understand that. I understand that fashion has entered the realm of everyone's life everyone's passionate about it. It's not for those few people anymore. There's a huge audience and there's a huge responsibility that comes with putting imagery um, into the hands of young people who are watching celebrities who are creating their identity through 
icons. And you have to take into consideration where we are and what we're doing and the responsibility, if you want, to your public. You know, who's buying clothes today? It's young people, you know what I mean? Sure, you know, some of us old fogies, you know, we want to look young, so we're buying clothes too, but it's driven today, the, the, our, our industry, by youth, you know, by young nations or old nations who are having a new opportunity, you know. And if we're aware of what it is that we're doing, if we're conscientious in our actions, if we're not caught up in the moment but seeing the bigger picture, um, there's a lot more work that we can do, you know. We're creatives, you know, we're artists at the end of the day. And uh, I think creativity is godlike and, you know, it comes with responsibility. Hey everyone, it's Jen and Jess from the beauty podcast, Fat Mascara, here to talk about Sol de Janeiro. So many of the beauty experts we interview on our show say that the key to great skin is to treat every inch of your body with the same attention you give your face. One of our favorite ways to do that is with Sol de Janeiro's Beige Flor Elastic Cream, a rich body cream that's clinically proven to boost collagen and has been shown to improve skin crepiness on the chest in just two weeks. Plus, it's scented with Sol de Janeiro's Charosa 68 fragrance. Sol de Janeiro is offering you 10% off your first order on soldejanero.com and free shipping with the code ACAST10. That's S-O L-D-E-J-A-N-E-I-R-O soldajanero.com and use the code ACAST10 for 10% off. You know that's the sound of another sale on your online Shopify store. But did you know Shopify powers selling in person too? That's right. Shopify is the sound of selling everywhere. Online, in-store, on social media, and beyond. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash BOF, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash BOF to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash BOF. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you feel like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts. And not just any experts, specialised experts. Real people who love this stuff, with real, hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, 
swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. But you know, leading up to the pandemic, there was a real growing voice in the fashion industry that there were things that were wrong. Yes. And things that needed to be fixed. Things were so codified. And and what the problem, what, what I'm seeing now is that the codes are so strong that they almost resist uh, that tsunami of, of, of COVID. The, the codes are so ingrained. But this is, I go beyond that too, that this notion that independent designers and independent um, and the people who sell independent designers, I guess, independent retailers, we, we're reminded that they're the kind of backbone of creativity, you know, that, that, that they're the backbone of the fashion industry, industry's creativity. And when I look at, say, Francesco and you at Mani, I see how much of what you do seems to be shaped as a reaction to, to everything else that is going on, that there's a sort of anarchic, almost like an anarchic rejection of what has been. And that was before the pandemic. That mm-hmm. was, and during the pandemic, it became even more acute. Mm-hmm. So in a funny way, there's a sort of dialectic, I guess, what Mar- Marx would recognize, the, the sort of thesis and then the antithesis. The thesis is whatever fashion was when it was becoming whatever it was before the pandemic, that we, were, we all had problems with it. The lack of sustainability, the lack of diversity, all of that stuff. Then there's the antithesis, which is people like Francesco, and there's a lot of other wonderful designers now who who give us cause for, and stylists, who give us cause for optimism. And then you get the synthesis. And the ideal would be that coming out of the, the situation that we've been in for the last year, this, the synthesis brings brings it all together and creates a new a new beast. Right. Um, I think it's a seven-headed beast that we're talking about anyways. So you don't necessarily, I, I, I never think, I think that, that realities exist in parallel. And um, before the pandemic, we were asking questions. We were questioning, I mean, I, it's a long time that I can remember journalists kind of always flying between one country and another and very tired trying to keep up with the, you know, with the pace of the shows. And I mean, that was, people were talking about that in in the 2000s, you know, like it's really rough, but it didn't become a conscientious problem of wastefulness until other things manifested in our society. And we became aware of like, you know, uh, global warming. And we started understanding that well, actually seeing six collection seasons between couturemen's wear, ready-to-wear pre-collections and whatever, and flying around the world was exhausting. We also realized that it was very wasteful. And those moments weren't simultaneous. They were the evolution of a thought without necessarily a solution. What I think the pandemic brought on was the necessity of an immediate solution to a problem that couldn't wait any further. What are we going to do tomorrow and keep our businesses open and alive and continue to be able to pay our employees and continue forward? Because we have no idea. We've never found, we didn't remember that this kind of thing could happen. And so how can we creatively resolve this? And you had creatives coming up with ideas. 
You know, that became essential at that moment. If there hadn't been a moment that said, oops, I'm stop, we may have taken another five years to get at this point. My, my hope is, is that what we draw from this is that we found other creative ways of communicating, of reaching each other, of creating through the technology that was around us all along, that up until that moment we were just using to click our phones and make ourselves more popular, um, we actually realized that we were interconnected through this and that we could actually work and reach each other even though we were stuck in our homes. It was a necessity. I would like to think that um, the fact that shows were cut back to one show a season, men and women showing together, will continue because it is more thoughtful. It's actually interesting. The youngest generation doesn't think of the sexes, men's wear, women's wear, in the same way of the, old, the generation before it. So there's a new potential also in the kind of clothing that we design that isn't necessarily stagnated in an old concept of gender. Um, there are all these doors that have opened up which allow people to step through and make from these, you know, opportunities, the new fashion. There, there are people coming into the business that think about the business differently. And as fashion is cyclical, I think that we, 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 we're in front of an opportunity, of a series of opportunities that it's going to be exciting to see how they play out. But the potential that is there is incredible and could answer so many of those questions or be solutions to so many of those problems that we were seeing before the pandemic but didn't have time to think about. I think the one thing we did get with the pandemic is time to think. Would you like what you do now to be sort of instructive then? That, that with all the experience that you've had and all the facets of the industry that you've been able to explore, do you think you're in a position to actually set a good example? I've always tried to set a good example. And I think <laughs> that this brand is one that fits me well. Um, I know it and its values are very close to my values. Um, I think it speaks of a slower kind of fashion. This, the idea of slow fashion, which is, Quite, it's quite a strong thread. It's quite a strong, uh, it's quite a strong idealistic thread that is emerging. I mm -hmm. think, but there is there is also this notion of I think uh, a potentially very 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 important one, which is a reconceptualization of the idea of value and and what what actually constitutes value. What is precious? What does that? All these things need to be rejigged i think so i think especially in fashion people need to understand why something costs this and a one dollar bikini costs that you know that 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 when something when people go oh that's expensive if you understand why and and you and you you can appreciate the value of something then you get that whole idea of slow fashion, of of things that like the woman coming up to you and saying she she still wears your dress. What thirty, how many years later? That is that's a that would be, 
after everything we've been through for the past 20 years or so, a new consciousness, I think. I think it's something very interesting to talk about. I think that um, there's, it's, you know, it's opening up Pandora's box to some degree because there are many reasons why something is expensive. Ma- mass fashion um, that's produced on a boat uh, by uh, underpaid workers um, in mass volume, uh, avoiding taxes and stuff like that is one reason why clothes don't cost much, but also organizations that communicate on mass scales and spend lots in advertising are also reasons why clothing costs much. Sometimes it's not necessarily about the quality that's inherent in the piece that you're buying. And what we're talking about isn't very new. I mean, there are brands like Levi's that have made the same pants for a hundred years, you know, that are still relevant and they are based in a function that allows for a machinery, um, an industrial machine that can make things in a certain kind of way. We have now Nike and uh, all these sport brands who have moved into the fashion territory being endorsed by incredible personalities that have found machines to substitute hand labor and their, you know, shoes come out like off of knit machines like socks and become, you know, these very expensive status items. But you also have companies like Hermes who hand make their objects and they become family heirlooms and they really have a qualitative value that is worthy of the price point. I have a wallet that Margiela designed when he was working for Margiela. I have three of them because I bought three at the time because I didn't want to lose it. But I mean, I still have it. How long ago was that? That was forever. So it's also, you. I mean, it takes the responsibility also of the consumer um, to inform themselves. To, the articles need to be there. The information needs to be there. But as I said, when fashion started out, it was for a select number of people who hired a designer to dress them in their life. Today, there's a big machine that is very complex and, and, and complicated where there are all sorts of values that are hard to put on a scale and actually measure, measure up. Um, it takes the whole industry to turn and start informing people about where value lies. For me, it has always lied in, in something that's timeless that has a function and that makes you look better, but that also embraces your own identity. That's me, you know what I mean? And, and I've always, <laughs> look at me, I mean, I look exactly the same as I did when I was... When I met you. Yeah, it, it, because that's who I am. I don't want to say that there's a karma to being that way, which has saved my face from wrinkling, but I think that there is a, 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 a serenity in, in the way that I do things, which works well with my uh, biorhythm. But, you know, fashion has been called upon to be more things now. It's called upon to respond to things that were never in its in its vicinity, um, massive social issues, mass, massive environmental issues. Do you feel yourself, do you feel that you naturally osmose this in your own work, that you take on board the turmoil of the last uh, few years 
as you approach your this new position at Aspazie, do you think it's important that that you reflect that those things in your work, or do you want your work to be a refuge from those things? No, no, no. I think that um, fashion belongs to the people. I think that that's what fashion is. Fashion is a moment, and it's about the people that that wear it, that consume it. That's what fashion is. It's it, you define a moment. And it is a fashion, and then that moment moves on, and it is another fashion. And the public for fashion today is global, and I think that you cannot exist without being connected to your consumer. And your consumer is right, and you are providing a service. I don't think it's the other way around. You're relevant or you're not because you find someone of which your values corresponds to and you're big if you want to be big because those values correspond to more people. So I think that there's a responsibility absolutely to t- make that part of the work. I think that, it, you know, we don't just make clothes, we make images. And I think there was a moment in which we were making images on a very narrow gam of identities. And I think we were doing a disservice to the people that we weren't addressing who were passionate about what we were doing but not finding themselves. There, I live that on a daily basis. I mean, I have to be honest with you. There were moments when I would turn on Netflix and I would say, you know what, I don't want to watch a film where there's not somebody who looks like me in it. Just because I'm very aware, I am aware of what what I'm consuming, you know, and, and that has nothing to do with fashion. I think that there are people like me in the world, there always have been, we're only rising in our consciousness to the degree of understanding what that actually feels like, because we're closer and closer to each other through this technology, through this means, you know, through this thing, through information. And we cannot ignore the person standing next to us anymore, you know what I mean? Or the things that are important for those people. We can go off and live on an island, you know, we can do our vacations at Six Senses and be massaged and not see anybody because the bungalows are hidden in the trees. But when you come back home, you know, um, unless you're isolated, you have to recognize everyone who's around you. You're on the same ship and that ship is, you know, it's either navigating in the right direction or it's sinking. People are showing up on the doorsteps because they don't have uh, the things that they need. And we have to address that too. And, we have, you know, of course, I think we have to all address that. And I think those who don't will be making a grave mistake. I have one last question for you. And that is, for people who know Aspazy, how, how will it look? Well, not, maybe not how will it. Will it look different with you captaining the ship? Well, I'm running the ship, so it's going to look a lot like um, me in one way or another. The codes of the brand, the DNA of the brand, to me, are something that I respect immensely. So some things will change and some things will stay the same. Like many brands, the founders founded these companies when they were young people. And the brands age with the people, you know, who founded them. Uh, my, I see as my, uh, my role is to open up the codes to a new public that's waiting for them. The brand is moving beyond 
Italy into the world, and I have lived everywhere in the world, and my mind is open to all those kinds of things. I have a particular intuition towards what makes us different and what makes us the same, and so the collection will both have firm ground in its roots um, and be looking very strongly towards uh, the present and the future. So um, I think who loves Aspasy will find what they love in Aspasy. Fabrics have always been at the center of our product, a kind of research of fabrics from all over the world. I'll continue to do that kind of research. But I'm interested in, in reaching a younger public. And so I'll open up our, in my research in fabric towards the taste of and the needs of younger people. Um, the collection that I've done today, you pass, I've, you know, I've designed a trench that is sex, you know, doesn't have a sex. The guy can wear it, a girl can wear it, as they do, as young people do. I photographed the collection that is about to go on sale on a group, I chose a group of friends to work with, and then photographed the clothes on their kids, right? So it was kind of a family of people that I feel really comfortable with, but a generation that was born out of that family of friends um, who was new to, to the brand. The whole idea of letting them wear clothes that they felt comfortable in was a learning experience for me. It was involving them in my creative process, spending time together. But I was, of course, coming from a place that was this is how I see things. So for me, it's a work in prog progress, and it will slowly evolve. Thank you, Lawrence. Thank you, Tim. <laughs> it's lovely to see you. It's wonderful to talk to you. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe to the BOF podcast for our look inside fashion and how it connects to currents in the wider world. If you're not yet a BOF professional member, join today with our 30-day risk-free trial and benefit from exclusive access to agenda-setting analysis you won't find anywhere else. The BOF podcast is edited and produced by Emma Clark, Kate Vartan, and Kevin Bobby Blanco in the BOF studio team. 